Welcome to Amplify, the personal brand entrepreneur show. Today on the show, Bob is speaking with James Church. The pitch is the key to opening the door of the safe. It's not the tool that gets you access to the capital. The pitch is just the thing that initially opens the door. And if you can spend three to five minutes giving a top level pitch that covers all the key elements they're looking for to tick off their checklist of like, there's enough here for me to warrant my time, to invest my time in finding out more. So you're never really pitching for their capital in that moment, you're, you're pitching for their time. And if they're willing to invest their time in finding out more after that pitch, the pitch has done its job. Hi there and welcome back to the Personal Brand Business Show. My name is Bob Gentle and every week I speak with incredible people who share their secrets to building, marketing and monetizing your expertise, intentionally growing a unique personal brand and the mindset you need for your business to grow and thrive. If you're new, then while you still have your device on your hand, take a second to subscribe. That way you won't miss a single episode. And if you're a regular listener or viewer, then consider sharing this show with just one person. It's the very best way you can help the show grow and help me reach more people. And if you are watching on YouTube, again, hello, you're the best. While you're feeling good about me because I said that, hit subscribe and also give the video a thumbs up and consider a comment even before you've seen a thing. Just telling everyone on YouTube the show is awesome because the YouTube algorithm needs that kind of coddling. So... Money makes the world go round. And if you have big expansion plans or your ideas take a lot of money to build, you might well need some money from someone else. Today on the show, I'm talking to James Church about getting pitch ready. And if I know one thing to be true about business, whether you're looking for investment or not, life's a pitch. So James, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, thrilled to, thrilled to be here. So I joke about life being a pitch, but Honestly, I think at every stage of business, you have to persuade other people that what you have and what you bring to the market is a good idea, whether you want customers or you want people to invest in your business. And this is really your area of specialism. And we're going to have a lot of fun with this today. But for the listener who's maybe meeting you for the first time, could you maybe just tell us a little bit about who you are, where you are and the kind of work you do? Yeah, absolutely. Just just on your comment of um, of life's a pitch, my growth mentor uses the phrase entrepreneurship is a journey of a thousand pitches from seeding the idea all the way through to pitching the exit of your business. It's a it's a journey of a thousand pitches. So I love I love that sentiment that that life's a pitch. So yeah, so so I'm I'm James Church. I'm the author of the best selling book Investable Entrepreneur. Basically, I help founders communicate their proposition with investors so that investors want to invest in their in their business. Help them convince investors their business is the one to back. So I've I've co-founded an agency with my business partner Nick called Robot Mascot. Robot Mascot's an award-winning investment readiness agency, and, and yeah, we do exactly that. We we build uh, financial forecast business models and and pitch materials to help help founders secure the investment that that they need, and all the processes, the methodologies, everything that that I talk about in my book and that we implement at Robot Mascot basically leads to our founders being forty times more likely to secure the capital that they're looking for. So so huge huge successes, which is what's led us to winning those global awards and getting the the recommendations that we do so 40 times more likely to receive investment that is not insignificant i was reading earlier that apparently is something like one percent of people who attempt to get investment actually achieve it so if you can increase that to a 40 percent likelihood 
that's really, really significant. Hugely, yeah, massively significant. It's tough, right? It's tough to tough to raise the investment that that you're looking for. There's a lot of competition out there, more competition than ever, and you've got to be able to cut through the noise. You've got to be able to pitch in a way that that gets those investors to sit up, take notice, and then then ultimately want to close the deal with you. It's it, it does go beyond the pitch. We used to boast that we got a 10 times better a success rate. We had a 10x success rate. And that was when we focused just on pitching. We were just a pitching agency. And then we realized that our clients were getting great responses from their pitch. They were getting into meetings with investors, but still we didn't feel enough of them were closing the deal. We looked into why that was, and that led to the full kind of strategy that we implement now, which is not just the pitch, but also the financial projections, the business case, and having the whole narrative from initial conversation and initial pitch all the way through to the due diligence and closing the round. And if you can communicate your your business in, in the right way at every step of that funding journey, you're, you're massively going to increase your, your chances. So one question I have, I guess, is one of the issues with startup businesses before they've had any investments is they typically don't have any money. And I'm wondering at what point are you typically getting involved in a business because you you can't work for no money. So what does that look like? Or where where do you get involved? Yeah. So obviously the the startup ecosystem is extremely broad and and there are startups out there with no money at all. And that's fine. That's what the book is for. That's what our free downloads, our free resources are for. We want to support the full you know, the whole ecosystem, any founder who's looking to seek investment. And there's loads of free resources and advice and support out there that, that we've created to support those founders. Typically speaking, we're working with founders that that do have some capital to spend. They, they've perhaps left a corporate role, saved up a bit of a startup budget, and they've kind of launched a business that's probably solving a problem they, they identified in that corporate role. Or they're a, a serial entrepreneur that perhaps already have a consultancy business. They've built a, they've built some technology within their business to, to improve their own efficiencies or, or something like that. And they're spinning that out as its own kind of product that they could sell to the, to the market or, 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 or similar, similar kind of ideas to that. So that, so there tend to be people that in terms of our consulting services that, that, are, that, that have some capital to invest in, in raising the money that they need. But we also have kind of lower cost programs where you can join us sort of a 12 week sprint to, to get yourself investment ready. We do some mentoring services, um, which are, which are you know, a different price point to our full kind of done for you consulting. So we try to, we try to offer a number of different options from free advice and support all the way up to, to done for you consulting to, to support founders with various different um, appetites and, and budgets. So something I'm, I'm wondering about, I'm, I have lots of questions. I think the, the first one, I guess, is from an investor's perspective, what kind of ROI do they expect? Because not all ideas have got the same potential. Mm. You can have an idea that you think, yes, this makes perfect, perfect logical sense. I can see how this can turn into a business, but I can't see how this can turn into necessarily a multi-million pound business. It might be too niche. Mm. Are there any ideas that you come across? You think, this is an amazing idea. We know it's going to work. We know it's unique, but it's not big enough to really become investable. Is, is that a real yeah. problem or is that just in my yeah, head? That, that, that happens all, all the time. Um, and you're then in that chicken and egg situation as a founder of, you know, I need to get some capital to get this off the ground. 
but I'm probably not in a position where I'm attractive enough to an investor. So I need to look at alternative sources of, of funding and, and, you know, debt may not be an option because you don't have any revenues to pay back that, that, that debt. So then it kind of, you know, it only really leaves you to, to bootstrapping. And, and it probably means that, you know, if you can't get it off the ground in some other way without a huge initial capital expenditure and the market's quite small, it's probably not particularly viable business. And perhaps you need to look at different ways of solving that problem that, that you can get off the ground in a bootstrapped manner if it's too small a niche. Um, or you need to look at repositioning this concept to a larger, more scalable opportunity into a different market or a number of different markets. Could, could this initial niche, pro- niche project just be the kind of route to market, the, the kind of proof of concept? And then once you've established it in that niche, are there a number of other sectors and, and markets and verticals in which you could expand into using the same technology but in a slightly different way and then maybe that creates a more scalable and investable opportunity but but in terms of roi it really does depend on sector and the sorts of investors you're looking to looking for so there's no straight answer to this but just to give some examples if you're a high growth tech company then an angel investor a high net worth individual investing in an early stage round might be looking for ultimately a 10 to 30 times return on their investment, knowing that about 80% of their portfolio will fail and, and the 10% that succeed will deliver them all, retu- all the returns and pay back the money lost. If you're talking to a VC firm, a venture capital firm in the tech space, they might be looking for sort of 50 to 100 times return on their investment. They take much bigger risks. They want much higher scale, but they only have about 1% of their portfolio succeed. So they have to pay back 99% of the losses from one that will make that return. So that one shining star in their portfolio pays back all of their losses. If you then switch that to something like a consultancy or a restaurant business, maybe a 5x return would be really well received by investors in that sector. So it's all about understanding your own niche, what investors expect in your niche and your stage of development and what they expect if they're investing at a sort of an early stage or, or a later stage kind of round. So there's no straight answer, but but um, you should be able to kind of get to talking to some investors and, and figure out what's what's needed in, in your niche. So I guess as somebody who is paying attention to pitches on a regular basis. I'm curious to know from you, what are the most common pitfalls or failures to execute that you experience? And I guess this is true of people who are pitching for investment, but as somebody has tuned in to the pitch, also in a more broad context, maybe failing to really bring your point across, what are the most common yeah, pitfalls yeah. that you see? Uh, I think structure. The structure of the narrative is a is an area that a lot of founders struggle. They they jump, they they jump across different kind of sections. There's not there's not clear kind of narrative. So so we use a structure that initially kind of by sells in the the heart. It kind of gets the emotional across, and then we kind of sell in the logical kind of strategic stuff in the in the business and we kind of use this this structure that kind of engages emotionally first gets their buy into the vision and then and then starts to think more strategically about the business um so you're speaking to the head and the heart and and i think a lot of founders kind of mix those messages up in the business in in the pitch and your your mind can't almost keep up and it's kind of sort of one minute it's like it's emotional and now we're into some logic and and then I'm a bit you know it, it does just doesn't create such a nice flow um to the to the content I think the, the other thing is the content itself like writing too much not being articulate enough I think we're we're always told at school 
that everything should have a beginning, middle, and end. You know, when we when we talk to write, and when it comes to articulate pitch content, you cut out the middle. You just need the beginning and the end. You need you need a headline. You need a, a headline that's not like I call it the setup and score format. And, and you kind of need a headline in your pitch that isn't the solution or our problem, the problem we're solving, or the, like that. That headline needs to be an engaging, almost like the conclusion of what you want the the reader, the audience to come to when you're when you're pitching that concepts so instead of key milestones it might be proof of concept launch and uh or proof of concept achieved and, and ready to launch first customers adopted and ready to scale not key milestones so i can go through every slide of the pitch and just read the headlines and i should get a summary of what you're trying to tell me so your headlines the conclusion and then you just have a few short snappy points that that get across like that back up that statement cut out the middle you just have the end and the uh, and the beginning so they're they're probably the the two biggest and, and then just clarity just just refine not spending the time refining the content for clarity and making sure you're getting rid of anything that's unnecessary so you've got the right structure you've got the right content you've got clarity and then finally sort of the design really the design has a huge impact and, and not enough people are, are, are really really um investing enough in in the the way they're pitch looks their slides look when they deliver that pitch because ultimately you want to look like this kind of successful unicorn business that you're promising to become and if it looks uninspiring if it looks it looks a little bit run-of-the-mill then the initial reaction from the investor within about four seconds is oh this looks a bit naff but i suppose i better give it a go and and they read through it and you're trying to convince them from that negative perception whereas if their initial reaction is well this looks awesome you've already got them in a positive mindset and, and they're going to absorb your content in a very different way. So psychologically, the design can have a huge, huge impact on the way that, on the way that your message is perceived. So yeah, they're probably the four areas that, that I see founders struggle with, with when it comes to pitching. I, I think the brand element is so easy to underestimate because people think it's a great idea, it's a great product, it, the logic is flawless. But if the brand isn't there, then people have to decide Here's the decision people are making. My reaction has been positive. So now I'm going to have to find a reason to exclude you. Or has my reaction been negative, at which point I have to find a reason to include you. Mm. Which one do you want to be? You want to be the one where people are going to have to find a reason to not include you. Exactly. And if you get the branding and the positioning right, your odds of success are much, much higher. I guess I'm kind of curious. And I think a lot of people probably wonder the same. Let's imagine I've got a prototype prod a product. It's fairly unique in the market. It's solving an obvious problem. And maybe need five, 10 million pounds to really help with the marketing budget. How long should I expect to be pitching on average? What I mean by As that in is in a pitch, I'm in I'm in a pitch, I'm in a room now, okay. or virtually. Yeah. The clock has started. How long would that pitch normally last? Uh, again, I wish I could give you a straight answer on this one, but it will really depend on the on the style of the investor you're you're pitching to or the relationship you have with them. So sometimes you might be invited in for a more formal pitch event, and and you're presenting to a room of decision makers in that fund, and hopefully before then you have pre-qualified what that meeting entails. How long have I got to pitch? How long is the Q and A? What happens next? So you know what you're getting yourself into, and you can prepare for those time slots. 
I like to, when you're talking more to individual angels and high net worth individuals, and perhaps it's less formalized than a fund, um, I would always try and take the initiative as a founder and do what you think you're most comfortable with. So if you've got a five minute script or a three minute script that you can pitch and you, you're really comfortable with with that and then taking Q&A because you feel it builds a better rapport, then if you've got a half hour meeting books with an investor, I'd be setting what I call an upfront contract and say right the way i tend to run these meetings even if it's your first one right the way i tend to run these these meetings is give you an initial sort of five minute pitch with some slides then open it up to some q a and then at the end of the meeting we can decide whether or not there's a there's a interest here and and we can book next steps is is that okay with you and then they'll say yes or they'll say well to be honest i'd rather you just send me your pitch prior to the meeting i'll read through it and we'll just have a chat Mm. And that's how I prefer to make, I, I rather, I'd rather get to know you. I don't want you hidden behind some slides and a script. Send me the details, send me the full pitch. We'll then have a conversation in that, in that call. And then we'll make a decision from there and you can decide whether that's okay for you or not. So it's about just being open and understanding, but generally speaking, you don't want to be pitching for more than five minutes. If you can do it in three, great. The more time you've got for questions afterwards, I talk about it like that, like the pitch is the key to opening the door of the safe. It's not the tool that gets you access to the capital. The pitch is just the thing that initially opens the door. And if you can spend three to five minutes giving a top level pitch that covers all the key elements they're looking for to tick off their checklist of like, there's enough here for me to warrant my time to invest my time in finding out more. So you're never really pitching for their capital in that moment. You're, you're pitching for their time. And if they're willing to invest their time in finding out more after that pitch, the pitch has done its job. So it's just about opening the door, giving them enough information to go, I can drill into that in a, in a further conversation. They've got something here. They've, they've thought through the strategy. They've thought through the concept. They've thought through the value proposition. There's enough here to warrant my time investing in, in finding out more about this before I decide to invest my capital. So, yeah, that's the general rule. I think one of the things I love about your business is how tight you've niched because in many respects if you look through the glasses of somebody who maybe doesn't really know the industry you could be accused of just being another creative agency and i think a lot of people would traditionally go to a creative agency and have the kind of work that you do done but it's done at huge risk because have they done it before do they know what works what doesn't work when you really niche in a tight you deliver one solution to one person Additionally, and this is one of the things that I noticed looking around your website, is you build a team of people who are designed to deliver exactly what your customer needs. If I came to you as a bakery, you would not be able to help me, and I would be shown the door quite quickly, But unless I was looking for investment, I guess. But you're not going to work with anybody other than the ones in your niche. And when you visit the website, what that allows you to do is build a resource that speaks for you. There's so many resources on your website that most people would find completely useless. But your ideal customer, it's a goldmine. There's so many things on your website that would be attractive to only your potential customers. And I think anybody, even even if you're listening or watching and you're thinking, this interview is not relevant to me, it's relevant to you. Go and look at James's website and understand how well this is put together for your customers and your customers only. It's a masterclass in tight niching. 
Yeah, I mean, it's probably one of the best decisions we made was was to niche. We started life as a full service creative agency. We were a brand communications agency, and we we did radio ads, we did some TV ads, we did brochures and websites and all of this stuff just to get work through the door. Um, and my co-founder is very much the lead on brand. He, he's he's the the expert around branding, um, and we spotted this opportunity. We we had some some advisors who are also investors we had some clients that were also startups who said can you help me with your pitch we were a young agency needed some work and said yeah of course we can we've seen dragon's den how hard can it be right so we, we put their pitch together we figured out what needs to go in it they got some great successes and then our advisors saw the work and were like if you like this isn't outstanding compared to what we get in our inbox every day as angel investors like if you can package this up in some way you could have a really nice little pro- uh, project uh, or, or product here that you could you could offer. So we kind of explored that. We created a secondary website. We explored it as it's as a nation, and that led to these insights. It led to the book, and then we took the decision that actually we were making such headway in that part of that niche versus trying to spread ourselves so thinly with with being a sort of full service creative agency that it made sense for us to really niche in on that and just go all in um and we completely we sort of did that pivot then of of kind of making that our, our primary primary objective and and it's you know we, we saw instant results from from that because of the tight communication you can create we understood our customers wants needs problems so much better and we could communicate them so much better without worrying that we were turning away people that might not interest so so yeah it, it absolutely it's now it feels scary because it feels like you're reducing your scope to win work but actually it increases your scope to win work because you very quickly become the go-to expert within six months we were recognized by a number of key part key kind of um, businesses and and uh, brands in the industry as the uk's leading pitch agency that happened within months that people were calling us that we we're like right we're having that that's going on the website <laughs> but it didn't take long because we'd niched so much and there wasn't really anyone else doing what we we're doing so we had to be the uk's leading pitch agency at the time because there was we didn't have much competition we, we do now but we didn't then so yeah it, it really really helped i think when you niche like that yeah there will always be competition you might get the dance to yourself for a while but it won't take long but i think even with competition there are so many startups all the time um so many people looking for, for investment that there's plenty of opportunity um and I think this is, I guess, where the personal branding element starts to come into it, that it's all very well being known as the UK's leading agency. But if you yourself are known as one of the UK's leading experts, because you're willing to invest of yourself and take personal risks, coming on a podcast, writing a book, these aren't for the faint-hearted a lot of the time. What you find is most of the time your competitors aren't willing to make themselves uncomfortable to that degree. And it's that discomfort that actually is at the competitive advantage a lot of the time. Yeah. Yeah. I think, um, I mean, the personal brand element that we sort of layered in probably sort of 18 months, two years after we decided to niche into this space was an absolute game changer. I think after writing the book, which kind of was the launch of the personal brand, really, we saw revenue grow about 300% in the 12 months that followed as a, as a result of of having that personal brand associated with the with the business um because people buy from people mm. um 
they don't buy from brands. You look at, I don't know, Virgin, and you compare the number of Twitter followers Richard Branson has versus Virgin or or Elon Musk versus SpaceX. Like people buy from people. They want to follow individuals with faces, not not necessarily logos. So you've got three tiers of brand, haven't you? You've got the 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 business brand, the product brand, and then the personal brand. And and every or most successful businesses will have a personal brand as as part of that mix. And and it absolutely was the catalyst for for us to 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 go to level up to the next to the next level of our development for sure. And in your business, one of the questions I'm always curious to ask is how opportunity actually finds you in a very practical sense. Because in most businesses, it's going to be one of four routes. It's going to come through outbound sales activity, ads, content and content marketing, or relationships. How does that typically look in your business? I guess now and how does that contrast perhaps to how it used to be yeah um so we currently use all of those (laughs) um but we started i think i think we started where most consultants and agencies start and that's relationships and it was referral partnerships and there was a lot of getting to know key players in the industry and, and showcasing our values so we we developed relationships with partners like Seed Legals and Crowdcube and Cedars who are big names in the industry and, and, and did work with exactly the same customers, but with very different products. Some were crowdfunding platforms, others are legal platforms, but they all do it for startups seeking funding. And um, and we were the sort of the missing piece to that, to the, to the core. You know, you've got three things you need. You need someone to do your legals, someone to, to do your pitch and, and someone to get you investors. And we were kind of the missing piece. So we kind of slotted in there really nicely. And, and as we built those relationships with them, shared our content with them, shared our results with them. We became their trusted partners and they started sending clients our way. We were doing partnership events with them. So we'd put on talks and events for their audience and vice versa. So we do kind of lead swapping and that kind of thing. And, and that just built and, and really kick-started our, our, our business. So it was very much partnerships and relationships to begin with. The next thing we did was then go, right, we need inbound. We we can't We can't sustain... We can't grow this business off partnerships alone. So we've got a bit more capital now because we've got this this business motoring. So we're going to invest in in uh, inbound, and that was that's through Facebook ads that that don't um, sell our service. It's about we see ourselves as the friend, the allies to founders. We're we're a guide, we're a supporter. So we don't want to go straight in with a hard sell. Our, our Facebook ads are. Basically, if you're looking to raise capital, here's a here's a free copy of a of a best selling book, and all you have to do is complete this this short quiz that's going to give you a, a, a report on your investment readiness. So you get this bundle of value in return for clicking this ad, um, and then from there we have a sophisticated funnel that takes them, nurtures them, and, and turns those leads into into sales. So that's that's very much about ads, but ads that add value as opposed to selling a product. Yeah, we do plenty of. Uh, we do, we've just started with some outbound, which is a which is a new thing for us. So um, yeah, we we pretty much use a lot uh, all of those things. But um, yeah, uh, ads and uh, partnerships are probably the, the two key uh, drivers for our for our growth. And you have your own podcast as well. I, I think that's not that's not your baby, is it? That's your 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 colleague's baby. But as an organization, you have the podcast as well. Yeah, so we have a we have a podcast, the Art and Communication podcast, which is uh, more around brand 
uh, and how to how to develop kind of brand stories and 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 looking at kind of uh, leading communicators in their in their fields. Uh, so that's an extension of our vision, which is you know to see we want to see great ideas and innovations flourish. And we get frustrated when we see great ideas fail because of poor communication. There, there. Mm. That's our vision and our mission, and, and it's, it's an extension of that, that that expresses it in a different way than just talking about investment all the while. It kind of talks more broadly around the principles of communication and, and brand. And we've mentioned the book a few times. And whenever I meet somebody who's written a book, I'm always curious to understand a little bit about what that was like. Obviously, it's quite a process producing a book. Uh, did you self-publish that or was it through a traditional publisher? Yeah, it was a hybrid publisher. So it's sort of semi-self-published, but with someone who knows what they're doing, basically. Right. So, um, so yeah, they they supported me through it, gave me the kind of support around the structure and how to how to begin the writing process. And then I wrote the book and they they copy edited it or, or uh, what do they yeah, the, the editing. They did the editing and the publishing part. But I found it really really useful really therapeutic quite enjoyable it was a lot of work i did it i wrote the book over a period of about six months in in the evenings after putting the kids to bed so i'd like to put the kids to bed at seven and i'd work on the book twice a week till about two in the morning and then i'd <laughs> then I'd, uh, that that was just how i because I, I didn't have time during the day i was running a business right so um that that's how i managed to do it and, and i just got into that habit every week doing that on these two set days I would I would write the book and I actually found it really therapeutic because it allowed me to get everything all of this information that I'd collected over the years on how to pitch for investment and and and, and allowed me to express it in a formulaic way that allowed made me better at public speaking made me better in sales pitches made me better in in all kinds of scenarios dealing with clients and explaining why we do what we do to clients because i had all of these analogies and stories and processes and, and steps that i've written about in the in the book and and that so it kind of really helped me structure and formulate what was sort of swimming around in my head and get it out on paper so i didn't have to remember it anymore <laughs> it was just kind of there and i could it was a, almost a reference tool for for me and my team around everything we'd learned over over the last few years so yeah really really enjoyable and therapeutic exercise i felt another thing i noticed was that daniel Priestley is one of your investors and yes one of the advisors and i've had daniel on the show and i asked him what his process for getting involved in or starting up other businesses was like and he described it as being a bit like a bank robbery i don't know if he's ever used this analogy with you before but he said you, you need your driver you need the the wheel you need you need the, the safe guy and then you need somebody who knows the, the layout of the bank and then you just you get together you plan the job and you do the job i'm not doing it just justice daniel if you're listening i'm sorry but i'm curious to know what that looked like from your side and what the story was of how that came to be anybody who doesn't know who daniel Priestley is listening or watching he's written a ton of books about business, small business growth, marketing, you name it. He is very well known. So I'm curious to know what what's the backstory? So in terms of how he got involved? Yeah. So I think at the time, Dan was going through a process with his Dent Accelerator, which is flagship program, is the key person of influence accelerator, which is about personal, personal branding. And, and we built this business and we didn't have the personal brand element. And he was initially, initially introduced. We'd been a fan of his for a while. 
he didn't know that at the time and, and he we got um introduced to um to him by a mutual friend or colleague and partner um and dan was interested in this whole idea of pitching because one of his key principles in his personal branding is the pitching element of it and and he was looking for strategic partners who could deliver on core aspects of his program and he had a publisher that could help with publishing the book but he didn't have anyone in pitching so he wanted to talk to us about about that and and, and so we were talking to him I was kind of super excited to meet him because I'd been a fan for years but I tried to play it cool and and he was asking some questions and he quite quickly established that his perception of us through our our company brand and our website at the time was that we were much bigger than we were and that we had some kind of superpower there and we had something lying in wait that just needed the right key to unlock its potential. I think um, he might have a different opinion, but that's how I felt the conversation went. So very quickly, the conversation went from how can we do a kind of referral partnership to how can I get involved in the business and help you unlock the potential that I see here? Because you've got so much you should based on what I've seen, you should be 10 times bigger as a business than you are right now. So he came on board and helped us unlock that potential. And, and here we are today. So yeah, that, that's kind of how that came about a, a sort of a, a happy, happy coincidence, I suppose, mm. a, a, a nice referral from from a particular individual. And, and yeah, now he's in a now he's the shareholder and, and, and guides us through 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 our growth. So yeah, I think that's quite an asset because yeah he he has a great eye for business it's it's a really rare thing yeah he's very very good very talented so yeah if, if you've not come across daniel definitely read his books because they were a game changer for us so speaking of game changing i think one thing we know about business is it's never standing still it's nice to look back at what brought a business into being it's nice to look at what it's doing now but you're ambitious you've got Daniel Priestley is part of the gang. Obviously, you're looking for bigger and better things. So what does your vision of the future look like for the business? And at the same time, I'm assuming that vision of the future is going to require you to continue to be un uncomfortable and doing things you haven't done before and what that looks like. Yeah. So, I mean, our ambitions are, are pretty clear. We, we want to achieve, initially achieve substantial growth um, and then when the time is right achieve a, a nice exit for ourselves and, and repay Daniel his faith um, so so that's that's kind of the the strategic vision sort of from a from a long-term financial perspective I think we very much want to be you know we're already kind of working globally with clients we're winning global awards for for what we do but I think we want to establish ourselves more on a global scale rather than the odd client from outside the UK, we want to definitely be more established in Europe, and, and we want to we want to probably have a much more of a presence in the states. So we want to have start having that global presence at some point, um, and then we want to continue supporting our clients. So it's always looking at opportunities as to what what comes next in their journey. So so we started by pitching, helping them with their pitch. We were then transition from a pitching agency to an investment readiness agency and we now help them with their business planning and their forecasts last earlier this year we, we launched a investor outreach service to help them then go and reach out and find prospective investors to have conversations with so we're, we're, we're always developing and looking at what's next in the journey that we can do to help 
improve the success rates of our clients and ultimately help them longer turn in the journey in the journey so there's loads of ideas and things out there that, that we're exploring from investor relations to exit services to all kinds of things that, that we've got in the in the back of our minds as to where this could go but um all of those things are things that you know ultimately we come from a brand marketing and communication background and, and we're having to to bring in the expertise who who we can leverage to to package up and 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 develop a, a service that's you know the the risk and the scary bit is is making sure that we maintain the quality as we expand in both the services we're doing now and bring on new services to support founders through that entrepreneurial journey we don't dilute dilute our niche dilute our positioning and and dilute our credibility in terms of the level of service we provide um, and start offering stuff that we can't deliver very well so that's always the risk that's the that's the yeah. scary bit to me um is keeping you know we're, we've got a great reputation and we don't want to ruin that reputation by trying to trying to push the business too far in in a direction where we're not sure about I think it must be a terrible temptation that you have these clients that you've brought on, you you get them pitch ready, they pitch, they win their pitch, and then they you could potentially continue working them with them for a decade, but then they need different services, you need different team, you have different processes. It must be quite a temptation to resist. Yeah, because there, there's yeah, there's loads of opportunities. Like once you've raised funding, you you potentially need a fractional CFO or, and we built their forecast. So we could quite easily offer fractional CFO services, but it just doesn't feel like us. We're, we're at our heart, we're a communications agency. So, yeah. so it needs to, it needs to fit with the brand and the vision. And yeah, we have to do it in the right way. Even if it means losing out on potential revenues, I think. Yes. Gotta, well, I think it's potential through. revenue today at the cost of your future. Exactly. That's, exactly. that's the reality that you're understanding very clearly. Yeah. If anybody's listening and they're thinking, I like the sound of this, I guess it's probably quite important for you to maybe say, what does an ideal client look like for you in order that people can think, I need to refer or that's me or whatever? So, look, I mean, we we work with, to use some industry terminology, pre-seed, seed and series A founders, stage founders. So that means it's your first round of investment where you're looking to get your concept off the ground. Or you've got some early traction, some first users, some first revenues, and you're looking for a, a round of investment to grow the business to a point where you've you're hitting some substantial revenues and, and perhaps even profitability. Or you're at that profitable stage, or you're at sort of a million in revenues, and you're looking for some growth capital to to kind of ten x the business from from there. They're, they're typically the types of businesses that we're working with. So all the way from early stage concept to those that are doing around about a million in revenues. If you're doing 10, 20 million in revenues and looking for 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 funding to to go on to a hundred or two hundred million in revenues, we're probably not quite the right the right fit. So that that's our kind of key area. So it's, it's founders really who have who know they need to raise capital, have never done this before, don't really understand how the whole process works because it's a murky world of lots of misinformation and it's not something we're taught in school. Even people with an MBA would end up doing an afternoon's lecture on different different sources of funding but they're never really taught how to do this stuff so so if, if you or someone you know kind of fits that mold then it's well worth checking us out and having a conversation i think and if nothing else you have all the goodies on your website for anybody that's in that position yeah, or even thinking it. about it so many things value proposition calculators financial forecasts 
it's it was surprising how much was there so well yeah, done yeah we've invested a lot in in i say really following through on on our on our ethos as a business to to be the friends allies and, and guides for for startup founders who are who are figuring this whole investment thing out for the first time so we've, we've invested a lot in providing a lot of useful resources so i guess both personally and as the company, where do you hang out online the most if people want to connect with you? And I guess we need to be clear, we actually give the website address for yeah. your business. And not forget to times, yeah. <laughs> so yeah, I mean, LinkedIn is the best place to get hold of me. I, I kind of post on, on all kind of the major channels, Facebooks, Twitter, um, YouTube. Uh, you can follow Robot Mascot on YouTube, subscribe, and there's regular videos that go out from me with, with support and advice. But LinkedIn is the main place I hang out and where you'll get you'll get through to me quickest and yeah the, the website's robotmascot.co.uk there's there's resources there for you if you go to pitchready.co.uk that that will take you to our scorecard where you can benchmark your investment readiness how how ready you are for investment and off of the back of that you'll be able to order a free copy of my book directly to your to your door if you're in the uk if you're outside of the uk there's a there's a pdf or an audiobook version you can access but you'll get a free copy of the book uh, opportunities to, to come along to one of my strategy sessions. I do regular funding strategy sessions. You'll get a complimentary ticket to one of those. So, so you just go to pitchready.co.uk and you'll get a whole bundle of goodies to help you figure out whether raising investment is right for you and if it is what you need to do to, to get yourself ready for it. And I guess that does bring us to a nice place to end. I think I've had a lot of fun. Anybody that's listening will have got a lot of value out of this. I think your business story, there's a lot there. I think your your personal journey within that business is really interesting. And just, I think it's, it's a departure from where we normally go on this show. Usually we're focused on the, the online entrepreneur, the, the sort of the expert business that actually you are at the end of the day. You are an expert business coming at it from an agency perspective and you've done a phenomenal job with it. And I think reflecting on that there's going to be a lot of lessons for everybody i guess a good place to end and i often forget i don't forget that often but i need to ask the question what's one thing you do now that you wish you'd started five years ago yeah so i think can i say two things yes you can. We've, mentioned them, we've mentioned them both in in today's kind of podcast but the first is is i wish we'd found our niche and niched earlier had the had the been brave enough to niche earlier um so that's the first thing. Uh, and the second thing would, would be to, be, again, be brave enough to develop a personal brand earlier. It took us, we had five years of just about getting by before we even got a glimpse of some form of, of what you could call success. Um, there, were, there were five long, tough years of of barely scraping by. And, and there's lots of stories around, you know, sitting there at Christmas, me and my co-founder looking at the bank account and saying, we can't. We can't pay ourselves and then suddenly someone walks through the door of our office and they want to work with us and, and it's literally because we were next door to where they lived and they couldn't be bothered to walk to to search around and it was just like that like without that we wouldn't have been able to pay ourselves before christmas type thing so there's all these sorts of stories of really tough times and and our mistakes i think were one not niching soon enough and two not not building a personal brand when we when we did and if we'd have done those things earlier we'd be five years further ahead where we are now so yeah that i think 
I absolutely echo everything you just said. I was there as well, running an agency for six, seven years was a hamster wheel of pain. And yes, I put off niching because I was scared of it, put off the personal brand. I had my podcast mic for four years before I ever recorded a thing. The day that I did that, everything changed. So yeah, I absolutely echo that. James Church from Robot Mascot, you have been great fun. Thank you very much for your time. I look forward to having you on the show again at some point in the future. But for now, thank you so much for your time. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. I really enjoyed it.